Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Whole. In season three, we are running the gamut of all of our favorite bands and artists and talking about a selected album from one of our favorite bands and artists. And maybe they may not be our one of our top five favorite artists, but they are always worth interesting topics to talk about. And uh, if you tuned in last time, uh, we probably actually broke that into two episodes since we tend to get a little verbose and uh, this band tool definitely has things to discuss and analyze. But last episode was more of a history lesson. This episode, we're going to dive into their, what is it? Third full length album. Yeah. Lateralis fourth release. If you're including opiate as their debut EP, but Lateralis is going to be what we're discussing. It was my pick. And who am I? I am Mark. I am always joined by my other two faithful uh, compadres, compatriots, cohorts, uh, co-conspirators. That'd be Eric and Steve. Uh, Eric and Steve, you pick of who wants to say something first. Thanks. I have nothing to say. But you had a lot to say, right? <laughs> I do have a lot to say, but um, yeah, no, no. miss you at one point. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. had a lot to say, and then he became a frog drum. <laughs> oh. Thanks, Eric. We're glad that you, you made it. You guys, right, that's good happy. radio. That's great radio right there. You'll you'll be happy to, under, to to look forward to tonight. I pinpoint the exact moment when Tool becomes the frog drum band on this this album. It's going to be a. Uh, I think a I know. Great moment for all of us. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I was uh, listening to it, and I was like, oh, that's it. I was like, yep, though, that's it. That's exactly when they went full frog drum. That's right in this song. The departure point is definitely this record. Um, but yeah, Stephen, now that you've told us about um, amphibians hopping on drum skins, um, tell us a little, what else? What else you got? What's on your mind? You want to greet your your fans, your well, listeners? The, yeah, what do you want me to tell you about myself? I've been, how many, we've been doing this for like, what, five years, six? <laughs> It's the season, I think. If this is your first episode, uh, uh, this is Steve. I'm the the more reasonable one with a, a keen eye for detail. And, uh, you know, Mark just got out of bed and uh, Eric's just happy that we have him on the podcast. That's the show. That's the show. Pretty accurate to the current events and the uh, affairs that are how our organization runs. So uh, thank you, Steve. Always making sure the uh, coal gets shoveled into the furnace on time. Well, we appreciate that. Steve. Yeah. Steve gets credit for having attention to detail. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's where we're going to go with that. We're going to go with if you, that. If you, were to, if, you were to put, if you were to put the three of us in a lineup, they would, they would look at me and they'd be like, that's the guy that's cooking something in the shed somewhere. And I don't think he showered in five days. And that's not true at all. I shower at least every other day. All right. So before we actually get into the uh, meat and potatoes, we before we actually act to serve you the main entree, um, we tend to do a little housekeeping. One of those housekeepings is checking the old newswire, the bulletin uh, board, if you will. Um, here we are in the month of October, and uh, Nine Inch Nails are out and about, um, going from town to town, and uh, maybe you even saw them. Who knows? Uh, sound off in the comments, folks. Um, but uh, is there anything worth sharing about anything that uh, we've all been up to? I think, uh, Stephen, you do have a field report on said Nine Inch Nails show. I saw Nine Inch Nails uh, earlier. No, wait, yeah, last month. 
Have we not recorded since then? I guess, I guess we haven't. Uh, no. Uh, I mean, n- we last recorded before you went and saw Trent and the boys. Okay. Great show in Berkeley. Uh, nothing, nothing special to report that hasn't been reported about this tour, probably except for when uh, Trent Reznor had a nervous breakdown when uh, one the the song "A Hundred Thousand Years" or whatever it did uh, d- didn't go the way the way he planned, and he he stopped it mid mid song, said "fuck that song," and uh, then the next song he threw a guitar, a guitar over the stage. Something fucked up. Wow. Yeah, that that was fun. Not happy. That was a that definitely wasn't part of the every night uh, playlist. That's fine. He's the the man's a perfectionist. I can't blame him. Can I interrupt you for just a second? Like when I watch back the YouTube, uh, you since you were there live, I was like, where did they fuck up? Were they just not on time? Was he pulling a J.K. Simmons from Whiplash? You're not on my tempo. it's, It's I think it's a J.K. Simmons thing. Uh, I don't think the audience could even tell, but, but honestly, out of all the songs they played that night, I was like, yeah, we don't got to hear that one. That's fine. Keep it going. You know, the only way that song, that that song should be heard is by uh Chuck E. Cheese animatronics. Anyways, that's a fine tune band. Yeah. Take it out of, uh, you know, what was Steve doing into the fun time newswire? There's that big old, uh, filter thing that happened. Uh, right, Eric. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, all of all of Nine Inch Nails social media was was ablaze. It was a pretty incredible moment. Their last night of this tour, Cleveland, they uh, they got to do their like live in person Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, like fan day where they um, did a Q and A. They brought out old members. They brought out Danny Loner, who was at the last one, uh, Chris Verena, Charlie Clauser, and Richard Patrick, um, along with their their current lineup. And um, and that was cool. Was that the show that uh, Ministry and yeah, Nick yeah. Reb opened so up they for did their, They did their Q and A, which was cool. They had Richard Patrick out there. Um, you know, the news was all like, "Well, you know, it's 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 a uh, you know, after all their drama." But I, I think I had read that they were cool for like the last decades, a few decades. But anyways, uh, Richard Richard Patrick was there, and then yeah, they went to the show where uh, Nitsa Reb opened a great great EBM band from the 80s uh and then followed by ministry who of course we love and then uh and looking at their set list uh, they both played very short sets but all killer no filler and then uh yeah nice Dales came out and did their thing and for the last what, six songs they brought out all their old members uh to play like a browsing version of wish and, and a bunch of their tracks and then uh did a cover of hey man nice shot and that was a little uh, little moment of unity that was pretty great yeah, I, I like the I like the idea of uh, Trent Reznor playing the guitar to uh, "Hey Man, Nice Shot." That's uh, that's fun. That's just the more the more guitar, the better on that song. You could just that that riff is so that chorus. Just add a bunch of more yeah, guitars. Fine with me. Fun stuff. Yeah. Um, 
help me out here, uh, Eric, since you've been a little bit closer, but uh, on this, but uh, Richard Patrick, he wasn't inducted into Nine Inch Nails or into the Hall he of Fame with Nine Inch Nails. No, he was remember, not there for that first round, the, the, the virtual induction. He was not there. No, no, because when Trent like was inducted into Nine Inch Nails, he also brought along some of the band members. So he brought along, I think, Chris Vrenna, Danny Lohner, maybe uh, Robin Fink, of course, Alessandro, yeah, and even yeah, Dylan they, Rubin. It's because he, they have he, these but, stupid uh, Hall of Fame rules, and he, you know, you're maxed out at like nine people. Yeah, which is, which is just stupid. Okay, I mean, what what the fuck does uh, you know? Well, if we give if we give Nine Inch Nails one more person, then uh, you know how many people is the Bloodhound Gang going to get to get in? <laughs> that's that's the second episode in a row. There's the uh, a Bloodhound Gang ref- reference. That's the new sure sure. That's my new yeah. bit. It was a great. It was a, that was a great night of of of, of vicariously uh, enjoying that uh, for Nine Inch Nails fans out there. It was great. Well, I, I like that. I you know I've I've always been a, a filter fan, but not a super fan. Whenever I, I I like those first two records, and then whenever I listen to what they're doing now, uh, if you were to take the last like five filter albums, and we've probably talked about this in the past, uh, if I were to hit shuffle, I can't tell you what era of it all sounds the same to me. It, it's never bad though. Um, it would be fun though if maybe the you know the Nine Inch Nails guys, maybe maybe Trent Reznor, a guest appeared on the next filter album, or if uh, you know old old Trent, he likes to be. He's old, but he likes to be a little dramatic sometimes. And he did say something on the the Nine Inch Nails Discord, which uh, I don't even know how Discord works. But he said something along the lines of like, "This is the uh, the end of this touring iteration. If we ever tour again, it will be wildly different." I mean, that'd be fun if they got Old Man Patrick to come back. I mean, it's a long shot, but that'd be fun. Oh man, that would be a ton of fun. If that's how they want to close out the career, uh, their live career of going full circle, I'm I'm all on board for that. Although I, I mean, you, you can bring, you can bring Vrenna you can bring Vrenna back for electronics, but uh, Ilan Rubin's the best drummer they've had by a, a country mile. So you're not going to replace him. for sure, yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh, bring him out for maybe doing a uh, duel if they want to do like a. Uh, uh, Melvin's thing where they have two drummers or the ministry tour rather where they've got um, who was the two drummers Martin Atkins and who was the other guy William drawn a blank here. William Reflin god damn man old age it's a hell of a drug one of them um, one of them is dead yeah Bill Reflin may he rest yeah yeah yep but they could do something like that for like select songs you know it sounds like they kind of did that a little bit for that wish um, but I don't know. Yeah, I Man hope there's some dream. sort of uh, video release. Like I, they did a little clip of Wish. I hope they edit at least that the last six uh, songs where everybody was out there. Well, that's fun. I'm going to keep us moving. Uh, other things that happened. Yeah, Steve went finally used his Romstein tickets. He bought uh, two and a half years ago. Uh, perpetually pushed out by the pandemic. It was my my son's first concert. I took him to the L.A. Coliseum. My wife planned the whole trip. We drove down to L.A. and back. We stayed at some uh, nice hotel. We saw some friends down there. And uh, the concert itself was fun. My boy had fun for about five songs. And then he realized he was uh, six years old. And he wanted to just (laughs) sit there on my phone and play video games. And uh, I let him because I'm not going to be the angry dad that says, watch this. 
but it amused <laughs> me because Rammstein's about as good as it gets. We did have seats that were about, they were pretty far back there. I think if he could have sat closer and seen the actual band better, he might've been uh, more yeah. into it, but whatever. That's, it's fine. I, I had fun. He had enough fun. He was kind of just amused at being around so many people. I mean, it was the LA Coliseum. Um, well, well, Towns, uh, are, are we ever going to see a yeah, penis exactly. gun again? They, Get your they, eyes off they, that they screen. Did, they did uh, bring out the uh, the pussy penis gun. But uh, it was a great show. It was funny, though. I mean, uh, like uh, they have a fire. I sent you guys videos. They've, they've got these giant torches throughout the stadium that just light up and, and, and choreographed to the songs. And you could feel the flames. And Towns could feel the fire as well as I could while he's playing, you know. Uh, you know, Smash You Road 8 on my, my iPhone or whatever it was, but it was a good time, and everybody was happy. Did he get his first contact high? Yeah. No, it actually <laughs> wasn't that bad. I was, I was ready for the, uh, what's that smell talk? I, I already I got a whole, I had a whole, yeah. like, a thing in my head about it. Um, a lot of people loved seeing him, though. Like, a lot of the just, uh, they're just like, oh my goodness, it's so great to see a kid here, and it's a lot of, really nice crowd. Um, good. That's awesome. Was, yeah, That's fantastic. A lot of people just enjoyed. It was like, yeah, like the next generation. Uh, but man, I got to tell you guys, I uh, so the concert itself was great. But uh, you know, I, I've been to LA maybe ten times in my life. I never had to be somewhere at a certain time until this time. And my whole family, because we wanted to go, we we went to some brewery to visit friends and then go to the show. And she, my wife, dropped us off and picked us up. Uh, the cliches about LA traffic are uh, totally true. And it, it was supposed to take like 19 minutes to get where we had to go, and it took three hours. <laughs> it was just oh my god, it was just miserable. Um, were you, did you show up late to the no, show? We got then the show just in time, but the place we were gonna got we it. were gonna go hang out with friends for a few hours beforehand that we haven't seen in years that moved down there. We got to see them for like 20 minutes, and then we had to go to the show. Um, yeah, but it was just uh, yeah, the, the traffic was a nightmare. Um, I guess that's my. I just want to complain about the traffic on air. Any listeners that live in LA, I don't know how you do it. It's just awful. Yeah, it's no joke. That LA traffic is no joke. I remember one time uh, coming back from Disneyland and um, I had to sh- take a shit so bad. And I was stuck in traffic where it was like not crawling. And like, I was like, it's going to happen. I feel it coming on me. Like <laughs> I feel the lightning crashes, you know? And, Did you get out uh, of shit in the middle of the freeway? No, thankfully, thankfully an exit off ramp. And I think I took a shit in a really sketchy Chevron gas station, but you know, well, speaking, speaking of Chevron gas stations that after the show, I mean, this is, this is not our area. I guess I should have planned this better, but we were just like, okay, honey, you'll just pick us up. And okay. Uh, shame on me. Uh, Friday night after a concert at a show that was sold pretty well at the LA Coliseum in wherever, you know, part of LA that is, it was like all the streets were blocked off and it was like something like trying to, I, I was holding my son's hand, walking him through what, you know, uh, sorry to any listeners in this area of the world, but it was like something off the Gaza strip. It was just like midnight madness trying to find uh, my wife that was going to pick us up. Um, all the streets were closed. 
There were cops everywhere. I heard somebody be like, "Yo, well, country, yeah, exactly." <laughs> well, yeah, I talked. I talked to this one. Pl- I was like, "Hey, man, my wife's trying to find me. Are you guys going to open these streets up?" You know, you might want to walk a few blocks that way because uh, we have a, you know, somebody actually has a weapon we're trying to find. I was like, oh, okay, that's great. Perfect. Thank you, officer. Um, anyhow, dad of the year. Um, Don't hear that in that Randy Newman song. I'll tell you that. I guess I'm trying it. When my dad took me to my first concert, I was, you know, a little older, but it was Pink Floyd in Oakland. And that was, uh, that was uh, no fairy tale either. So I'm just perpetuating the, 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 the story. The, the you know this the circle will be unbroken. Anyhow, that's that's Anyhow. that's that. Uh, you guys got anything you want to plug? Um, I'll go ahead and defer to Eric on this one. I I'll I'll, I'll pass this week because <laughs> I haven't had a, a chance to listen to some of the new records that dropped at the end of uh, September. Um, September thirtieth. Uh, definitely saw a plethora. Actually, the month of September saw a plethora of music, and uh, I have been steeped in work and other accoutrement that I haven't really been looking uh, at any sort of media that matters to uh, pretty much the two of you on this podcast. Uh, I've been really getting into a show, um, but uh, that is not for your consumption and i'm not even going to talk about it so eric to you what is that is it is it is it, is it something uh racy i mean what, what is it you got what is it it's i it's i carly i'm i'm de- determined to get to the bottom of everything on disney plus no uh, so just real briefly i'm not going to get into it okay because I, I, I really don't want to just hang on this so there's a show from like years and years ago that is currently still running. And um, it's a show that me and the wife um, always enjoyed. You know, when I hung out with Steve and we watched MTV, it was all about the music videos. But when uh, I got to know Jen, she was the other part of MTV. Not only did she like the, uh, the music videos, but she also really enjoy- enjoyed like the real world and road rules. And what spun out of that was this... Um, this challenge show called the challenge and over the years it has only amped up in terms of how ridiculous they put these people through think of it like is like the fast and furious franchise at first it's a lot of fucking around with cars and now they're like having to walk across two 30 foot high or 300 foot buildings it's it's outrageous so a lot of the seasons right now are open on Paramount Plus, so we decided, fuck it, let's just go through these because we really were like looking for a show to watch together, and we remembered how fun those were. And uh, BMX host, a BMX uh, uh, guy named TJ Lavin is the host, and he's just it's a lot of fun, and it's like a show that me and the wife are really bonding over right now, and uh, it's it's. <laughs> It's it's a whole fucking subsect of just normie shit that you, you two will not ever cotton to. So I'm like, yeah, well, that's not their thing. So, but I can tell you, I'm having a good time with it, and I'm getting really into it. It's like America's fifth sport for me right now, and um, it's pretty great. It's pretty great, but it is reality shit show like uh, nonsense. You know, people fighting over who's fucking who and. And then once they go to the challenges, they have to do these ridiculous, ridiculous things. Um, yeah, I, it is what it is, guys. When you get old, you sometimes want to watch TV that it's not about a red balloon. So 
Sorry, Eric. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say Eric's the one over there that's just grinding his teeth and shaking his head and thinking about he's, he's drafting his resignation letter right now. Yeah, when I uh, when I was at away at uh, Sonoma State College, uh, the road rules guys came by to do a to do some sort of like motivational thing. Yep. Oh God, it was so bad. I know. But uh, one of them just sat there in the quad playing an acoustic guitar, waiting, like just waiting for the line of the ladies to come up and talk to him. Anyways, that's, that's my two cents about road rules. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. So we're not going to belabor that point, but I want to know what Eric is listening to or watching this week. Well, just to pick off what we talked about last week, that Lord of the Rings show just kicked it into freaking hyperdrive this week with uh one of the probably the best hours of tv that any of us will see this year so so damn good um uh non-stop was episode five pulse pounding this is is episode episode six episode six episode six yeah 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 yeah. no you know once that once that show and i I know this segment usually becomes like what prestige tv that's already popular that i've already heard of or these guys watching what are you gonna do but uh yeah, that I, 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 once you get the the feel for the rhythm, and you have the just you're in tune with the timing of that show, similar to an album we might talk about tonight. It just it just works for you. I just yeah that uh, and and it's never it hasn't been boring at all. But uh, everything clicked into place, uh, figuratively and literally on that last one. Uh, that was fun. So I'm going to ask you too, yeah. is that meme of the credit sequence? That's fake, right? Or is that actually the real credit sequence? Like the black. That was like an entertainment tonight promo thing that they did. Okay. <laughs> the, best, the best one was the fake names and the last guy. Christopher fuck. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay. Good. But yeah. those are people that are on the show. Is that what I'm hearing? They are, okay. They are, they are. Okay. Not their real names. Not their real names. And uh, uh, the, yeah. Because I mean, thing. like, it, may, it still makes it look like fairy tale theater. But then when I see some like actual no. still images of the show, it looks like this show, like Vikings or some gritty shit. That's like yeah. No. It, you know? that was, yeah. That was just an entertainment like tonight promo thing. That the credits of the show are just like like sand, like moving into shapes as a score plays. Yeah. Below. And uh, the guy that does the music is a uh, bear McCreary. Who's done a lot of music for a lot of great shows. Uh, the Battlestar Galactica sure. remake among, among many others. The walking dead. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, we always mention it every time a new one comes out and he puts a new one out about every 18 months, but there is a new Raymond Watts pig album. It's called the Merci- merciless Good. light. It's very guitar, very guitar heavy, but he's not afraid of a little jazz flute, a little uh, pounding uh, Billy Billy Joel pianos. Uh, it's a great. No, I, I like it. I've uh, I've always I've always celebrated Pig uh, since he, uh, he he took a break. It seemed like, and then about 2015, he started putting albums out again, and they weren't bad. I didn't feel they were that memorable. The last one was pretty good. This one, though, I was like, "Oh, that's it. That's that. That's scratching the itch." So, yeah, I really, I really dug it. What's it called? The Merci- Merciless Light. Yeah, the Merciless Light, and he's, uh, yeah, just guy, guy that came from like just in the thick of it, industrial, and now he's elevated it to just big swooping rock with 
still those elements of of that that you're uh, you, it's still movie. clearly the same guy that put the stuff out in the the the, the, the 90s you can still hear a through line if you compare them there's going to be every once in a while a flourish of strings yeah. it's a little bit more uh geared to move your your booty but uh I, I dig it and it's fun that Inesh is part of his band too that's true he's got a good he's got a good lineup so anyways that's 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 on it um yeah uh, oh, and there's a new Yeah Yeah Yeah's album that I actually was pretty impressed by, and I hadn't given—I haven't actually listened to them in a long time. And I was just like, "Oh, what does that sound like?" And it's big, and it's a big production. very good i'm only calf deep into that record but uh is, is i it, definitely plan I mean, to does, swim away with does it that. sound like the same band from 20 years ago or is it different what's what do you think it sounds different it's 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 a it's not like because when they first started it was like bass it's very dreamy oh, yeah when they, when they first yeah, started it's a very they, dreamy yeah, sounding record. when they first started it was them block party vampire weekend etc uh, etc et you know those are all Kind of yeah, doing that yeah. same. Thing. They've evolved not, and matured. Uh, they're not, they're not yeah. like a sloppy. They're not like a sloppy party band anymore. It's more lush and like Mark said, dreamy. Yeah, they have a lot of beats on this one. Um, I, I, I give it what I've heard. I think I've only heard the first half, and uh, I give it the big seal of approval. Jen's a big fan. Uh, she listened to that as she was exercising this morning, and she gave it her thumbs up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, seeing them live these days is akin to a religious experience for a certain sex and probably the folks that live in Brooklyn and have mustaches, uh, you know, 20 years old, but, uh, they still are pretty there. They hold up. I think. Yeah. 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 are here to stay folks. <laughs> it's been two decades. I think that's a, well, Mark, you're taking a risk there. <laughs> I know I went out on a limb, you know? Yeah. That's uh, you know, I, I actually, I, I, I bought this uh, this boxing exercise game for our Switch. That's yeah. a lot of fun. That's I, I've been doing that. Eric, don't you exercise with your old your old Wii? Didn't you used to do that? I did. The, I did. I did the yoga uh, one. He had the no, 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 no. The balance board, the Wii balance <laughs> yeah, board. No, I did. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do yoga. You can do yoga on it. But I was. I, I would. I would do some other some step stuff or or some box boxing stuff. But um, I, I moved on to an old. Uh, inherited exercise bike from the nineties that barely works, but does the trick. That's exciting. Good for you. That's exciting. Uh, let's see. What have I been? Well, you know, Mark, I told you, you didn't eat your vegetables. There's a new Slipknot album waiting for you right now. I'm also calf deep in that one. And, okay. uh, it's good. It's good stuff. It definitely has some faith. No more qualities on there. That's, That's a uh, yeah. out of sight. Uh, absolutely. I, uh, I actually think it's better than the last one. And the last one was great. I just, there's something about this one. When I was out there uh, uh, canvassing today in the October sun for the good Kermit Jones, I was listening to that on repeat. I was like, man, they're just, 
There's some songs that have a different style of heaviness on uh, on this new one. I just uh, it's great. You know, you know, Slipknot's always fun. Uh, Corey Taylor is a great vocalist and he has a very good range. There's a lot of different genres on this new record, but it definitely all sounds like Slipknot. I'm sure a lot of people would never give them the time of day to think that they're as ridiculous as the fact that they all wear masks and look like clowns is, which is ridiculous. But I, this, this new album's a good time. Hey, Eric, when you get a chance to get around to it, I, I think you might like it. Someone tell me why I'm Did you listen to that? This is that. This is that. Uh, that 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 relationship dynamic that you've instilled on me for many after many decades. Um, I can't. I can't let you down. And I did. I did give it a listen. Yeah. And it, it is. It's cool. It's eclectic. Uh, I like how they show you where they can go. Um, and more times than not, uh, it's backyard wrestling, which is okay. Yeah, exactly. is you know, okay. when they when they go to backyard they, wrestling they, town. They still find ways to make it seem like that's not this, you know, we used to be in Rio Linda and now yeah. we're in, uh, you know, Truckee. That's at least we're in a different, uh, part of, yeah. part of the, the, the circuit different you backyard, know? different backyard. And then they open it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's eclectic and, and, and it's good. And that opening track is, is some spacey, uh, some, some spacey, uh, I don't, I can't even think. I'll tell you what it reminds you of. If you, if you listen, no, I, in my opinion. If you listen to that opening track and that bass line and the spaciness, it sounds like something off Black Star to me, which is just a, a, a crazy way for Slipknot to go. But it really kind of. You know, oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think the harmonics, uh, the uh, the vocal vocal harmonics, like uh, harmonies. Sorry, yeah, uh, tricked me into seventies rock. But I totally see what you're saying about Black Star. See, that's that's fun. I mean, that, that album's fun, and I've been a. Uh, Watching, uh, I watched. You guys ever watched that Halloween three season of The Witch? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's a no. That's an un, un uh, it's a uh, underrated gem. I think. I think in the last few years, it's been reappraised. That was the weird one because it doesn't have Michael Myers in it, but I think it's a great uh, Halloween movie. And uh, watched that last week. I've seen it before, but if you're if you're you know October's here. It is the time of Peter Steele and the time of typo negative and the time of spooky things. As uh, Peter Steele would say, it's, uh, it's autumn. Uh, I like I like the colors. But, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I love October. I do like Halloween, but I just like October in general. I like the new weather. I like just, just the feel of everything. And the movie Halloween 3 nails it. So check that one out. Listeners, Steve is doing something cool on our Instagram page. It looks like you're going to go through and do spooky. Well, not spooky, but just just good Let's October. See if I remember to do it. Yeah, one a day spooky. until I forget. That's. Uh... I'll say uh, if you need an idea, uh, let me know. We'll make it a group effort. But yeah, that's that's uh, that's fun. Yeah, and we should get into the the album tonight. But uh, I mean, have you guys noticed just with the weather not being just miserably hot? I just I feel like I'm not nearly as insane. I don't know if you guys are the same way right now. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, um, this summer was not fun in our neck of the woods, as uh, Al Roker would say. Um, it, it is. It made me go fucking batty to the point where I was like, I need, think I need to leave California. Um, but uh, finally, like, we got a break in the weather where it wasn't 108 degrees, 10 consecutive days. Uh, those people who are living out like, in Texas and shit are like, ooh, boo-hoo, world's smallest violin. But, like, I'm, uh, I uh, don't have, uh, I'm not made of reptile skin, okay? You fucking Texans. Um, I, I need some cold air and some moisture. That's right. That's right. Well, here we are. That's right. Mark, Mark, well, here we Mark, are. Mark was going to leave California. That's uh that, that's funny. I was going to go to cooler climates. I was uh, going to migrate north. What are you thinking? Utah? Yeah. Or, uh, I've done it. Uh, that would be Walla Walla, Washington. <laughs> I've been, yeah, did you look at Walla Walla? Did you actually look look at that word? No. I, I, <laughs> okay. I honestly I think that, that place doesn't really exist. It's a Bugs Bunny cartoon joke, but... Uh, I think they're known for their turn sweet onion and ended up in Walla Walla, <laughs> Washington. There you go. Right down yeah, from you know the, the Big Bang a, Center. <laughs> as, uh, as somebody who, uh, who lived up in Washington State, anything east of the Highway 5 might be politically terrifying. Um, but the rest oh, of the I bet we get some uh, like militia boys up there, you know, ready to. They're prepping. Oh, every, everything's politically terrifying now. It's whatever. I mean, you know. It's true. It's true. The, in, the, in, the inmates raise a flute and uh, everyone loses their mind. Exactly. Good Lord. Lizzo, All who's right. that? Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So la- lateralis. Uh, let's see. When does this album come let's, out? Let's get into it. All right, so Lateralis. That's the album that we're talking about by the old Tool Boys. Lateralis. Um, it came at out- this time of year, <laughs> at this, in this state, right now in yes. your kitchen? <laughs> it's exactly what Prince, uh, uh, Principal uh, Skinner saw in his kitchen. Um, this came out May 15th, 2001. Um, so before the Twin Towers fell, uh, we get an earth-shattering record by Tool. Um, I think that uh, if you kind of look at this, there was a big layoff between this record and um, Anima, which came out, I think, in 98? 98? I don't know. Refer back to the last episode. Um, it was 96. Wow. So yeah, it was a big layoff between, you know, records. And I'll tell you what, uh, tool fans out there were hungry for material. Um, at this point Maynard had joined a perfect circle and really started to focus in on that tool was going through some, uh, really litigious nonsense with their record label. And they were all kind of getting really fed up with the music industry and so at that point, um, after Anima and their massive rocket trajectory that they had taken, um, where they're selling out little small intimate arenas and almost going into like, nah, not stadium level, but like going from, let me just say the the their radio play for Anima, every fucking song here in Northern California was played on the radio. 
he started to really garner a massive fan base. So those weird kids um, with the long hair weren't their only fan base at that point. It, they started to see football players, backward hat wearers, and um, the like. Yeah, I mean, if, showing if, up to their shows. If we were just, a, I mean, when we first saw them, Veronima, it was at the Memorial Auditorium. Yeah, and then the next, you know, there was a, a show in Berkeley at some point at a uh, theater. But then, for the, yep. and I'm sure that there was some arenas before this, but definitely the two tours that we saw, I think, I think we saw this for two tours. Uh, they were both at Arco Arena. And uh, yeah, yeah, they definitely were in arenas by the time this album came out. Yeah, because I think we saw them play with Tomahawk. And then I also saw them play with Tricky yes. um, for this for this record. Um, so, yeah, I mean... The album debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. It uh, we had a midnight sale that, like, my God, uh, Tool, this record, uh, Depeche Mode's Exciter, and Weezer's Green album all came out the same day. And I want to say at least eighty five percent of the folks that showed up for that, and like the line was just going out the building. It was insane. Um, was for this record. So, um, very popular band that just was hitting everything, but a lot of fans definitely were like, Ooh, this is different. I mean, you had really long ass songs. The whole record's like really filling up that CD time. Um, as they start to get a little bit more progressive and experimental, it was produced by David Betrell, um, who, uh, Dave, uh, has done a lot of work with Peter Gabriel did some work with King Crimson who tool eventually brought along with them on their tour, uh, for more smaller shows like that Berkeley show that Steve was talking about, but it basically really stemmed from, you know, just the four year legal dispute with volcano entertainment. That was who, uh, who tool were on, and they finally then announced in January, about four months before the record actually came out, that the album was going to be called System, uh, Sistema Encephale. And they provided a 12-song track list uh, like, uh, that all turned out to be fake. They were really fucking with you know, Napster and file-sharing networks. And so they were really trying to flood them with um, these fake title names so that way kind of throw them off the scent kind of thing. Um, yeah, you know what's funny about that though is that uh, their fake stuff might as well have been the real stuff. It just all like if if, if they would have released this album with those track titles, uh, they would have been just as ridiculous if you were to swap them with the actual track titles that we have here. With such titles as River Christ, Numbreft, Encephatalis Music, and coalescius or something like that but yeah exactly yeah. How, how about how much better how much how much better is that than like you know flappy de ode or the, right. the last track <laughs> schism you know, parabola yeah. parabola you know they're not known for you know really it, it was on brand but so in may they said it's the album's actually going to be called lateralis which was kind of a a portmanteau of the leg muscle vastus lateralis and the term lateral thinking. Um, so all of that shit was just throwing them off the scent. It comes out. And I remember talking to like a diehard tool fan and he was just, I think yeah, I kind of listened to a couple bit more, but you know, upon hearing it for the first time, I thought, well, this is 
kind of like tools version of the fragile, you know, they're really trying to challenge their, uh, listener base and really trying to evolve into something different. And I do think they do that. Um, and I think that, uh, the results may vary on the following records after this, but you could definitely say that this was kind of a turning point for the band. And while it might not be everyone's favorite record, I personally think this is my favorite record of theirs, even though Anima may be a better record. Um, but I do think that this one holds a, a strong place in my heart, and that's why I, I selected it. Um, they also lose the sense of humor on this record. I mean, we'll get into it when we go track by track, but they get really super reflective and serious, um, a little bit more so. I mean, sometimes they still have that tongue-in-cheek. Uh, we'll talk about, like, you know, ticks and leeches and things like that, but um, you don't get that, uh, you know, hooker with the penis and the... Uh, little skits that they had in Anima. Uh, it just is like really just. I think I, I think I brought that. I think I brought that up in the last episode. Yeah. That at the turn of the century, they, it, it, it the tool in the nineties had humor, musicianship and songs. And I feel that at the turn of the century, it splits up into a triad, if you will. Yeah. And the majority of the cool musicianship is found in tool. The songs are found in perfect circle more. And then the humor is not as funny. And it all goes over to whatever the hell. Uh, uh, Pussifer. Yeah. 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 I, I do agree with that, that there is kind of like this uh, shattering of things. And plus on top of that, um, I honestly, I always get the sense um, on some of the later tool records that it really deviates from, having the foursome it feels like justin adam and danny are writing the music and then um once you know wine season or grape season is over maynard kind of stumbles in and says okay let me just scribble some stuff over this stuff that you guys have been working on and okay let's push it out the door um i think that that starts here and i i yeah. have a lot of positive things to say about this album but i definitely already see it happening on yes so the album was very, very commercially successful. I mean, it sold a whole bunch of copies. I mean, they're selling out places left and right. Um, this really, really does propel them. It uh, kind of keeps them in that, uh, that really high level of just a band that is just very successful. Uh, critically wise, I mean, it mostly gets really good reviews. Um, you know, at, Metacritic, who essentially consolidates and aggregates, gave it a 75 out of 100, which is pretty good. Uh, Pitchfork was doing Pitchfork things, but I only gave it a 1.9. If you really want to try to make sense of what the fuck the writer was saying in that Pitchfork review, go for it, and maybe you can help me out with that. It's just nonsense. Because it uh, seems that, like... That, I'm, that, was, that, was the height, that was the height of Pitchfork's uh, edgelord nonsense. They did yeah. the same thing with the Fragile. Uh, yeah, it's just silly. <laughs> How this album was like my family's Thanksgiving dinner, a diary entry. Like that's, that's, that, that was where pitchfork was at. Yeah. During those years. Yeah. It just wasn't doing it. Um, they won a Grammy for schism. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is, this is, you know, it had some special vinyl editions and there's only two music videos, one for schism and one for parabola and parabola um those are the only two music videos but um 
other than that, I think that we can probably go track by track, um, unless you have anything else to add um, to oh, kind I of the just, background. Yeah, just uh, I think it, it was more. It was. It was. I think it was critically quite critically acclaimed. I think a lot of the critics were like, "Whoa, this is kind of a lot to wrap your head around," but this is great stuff. Um, and I, I think just in our friend circle, that it pretty much hit like an atom bomb, and we all pretty much loved it. I loved it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, sometimes, like, I've actually fallen in and out of love with it over the years, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. I'll bring that up tonight. Uh, but it, I, I think from the start, if you were already a Tool fan, this wasn't going to turn you off, for God's sakes. Um, it just required more patience than I expected uh, I needed for Tool. It required patience that I apply to other bands. But I was like, oh, wait, I got to I gotta have this kind of patience for Tool now? Like, this is... Come on. I go to, you know, uh, Japanese noise bands for this kind of thing. Not them, but, uh, you know, anyway, yeah. we'll get, we'll get into it, but it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, when it first came out, it sold well, people were excited for it. I think the comparison to the fragile is apt as far as anticipation. I think with the fan base, it was appreciated more by the fan base than the fragile was when the fragile first came out. Now this, yeah. you know, you and I, Mark, we thought the fragile was great. Eric was, uh, you know, the often no limit land and he didn't really <laughs> get it the first time, but history True. for the fragile, uh, smiled upon it with the fan base. But I think from the start, the fans pretty much liked this album. So, so my history with this is just a really quick, funny story. I'll get in and get out. But, uh, I missed this entirely when it dropped. I was away at college the year it came out and then um, was definitely more in like a uh, rap and uh, punk phase of my of my developing music fandom uh, and then had moved back to the area, got a job back at the record store. And then that's when we all got met. So but I had I had missed this album dropping. And one of our co-workers that I, that I think you mentioned, Mark, that loves Tool, um, had asked if I liked Tool, which I said, you know, yes, I liked Tool because I wasn't listening to them a lot, but I definitely like liked them. Like, and and he's asked me all about this album, and I just kind of like, uh, I honestly like faked interest, and then like I noticed that in my hold box in the back room, suddenly the, the there was a copy, a used copy of it in there, to which this coworker said he found it for me and put it in there, and uh, <laughs> to which I didn't have a lot of interest, but I bought it and uh and listened to it to a few times did not hit like an atom bomb for me um so listening to it this time it had been it's been decades so this will this is going this is going in with a, a completely new perspective and mindset and uh in a critical ear so i love that eric faking the uh, like the band <laughs> or the I know that is like so on brand for you like i would be like yeah not really my thing i'm kind of into other stuff right now but thanks you know, like if you get a promo, maybe right. send it my way. But like, you know, like I, I like, uh, like I, I bought three of their previous albums, like when they came out. So like, I just, I maybe I felt like I owed it to the band as well as this rando that we worked with. But uh, I hear you. Yeah, before we get, before I get into the track by track, uh, a lot of this podcast is always about friendship, and I think in the last episode we did talk about how we've got friends that Tool always make, uh, you know, makes us think of them. But uh, th this one, you know, friend of the show, Sarab, we always think of as the always connected guy. And he was yeah. a big, big tool fan. 
And since we recorded the last episode, I actually, he and I got together and we got our families together and had pizza and beer at my house. And it was a great time. And so Rob is as much of a gem as he was uh, 20 years ago as he is today. So must have been something in the air that at the same time we're talking about this album, uh, we got together. Yeah, I, I loved that man. He always was the most down-to-earth and calming presence whenever he was around. Um, uh, I've, I think you two have seen him probably angry, and I'm sure that was like a hurricane. But um, I, I, that man is... Uh, uh, yeah, he, he's good. He's good stuff. Salt of the earth. Yes, if, uh, I, I would not make him angry. But, uh, <laughs> anyways, let's uh, let's get let's get on with the show. The All first right. track is the grudge. That was The Grudge, just a little sample. I can't play the whole thing. Otherwise, uh, this episode will go into, you know, my God, probably three hours. Who knows how long it's already going to be. But that song is a great opener. It's got some extremely metaphorical themes going on here. Um, Certainly about letting go some of your grudges never actually says grudge, but you can infer what he's actually talking about by saying, let go. Um, we can analyze the tracks a little bit more. Um, I personally, hold on, hold on, hold on. Doesn't he say wear the grudge like a crown? Uh, where the, uh, yeah, that's right. He does. That's the very first line. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, I'm just, just <laughs> lately, <sure> because <laughs> lately you've been you've been making it and wear the frog like a crown, and so that's why I probably I, yeah, mistakenly I thought, I thought I said that. Your head. Yes. <laughs> wear the frog like a crown. Yes. <laughs> um, but the grudge, great great opening track. I'll tell you a little bit more how I feel in just a second. But uh, just for the interest of keeping things um, fresh, I would like to know what Eric thinks about you know track one. 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty good opener. Um, it, it you're right about it's about letting go. It's about being mature and developing. Um, and I just based on what I've read online, if you're looking at like the lyrics, um, you uh, there's a lot. There's some references to uh, Saturn, um, which the or- orbital period is about thirty years. So it's like. Um, uh, it's looking at a person uh, uh, living up to 30 and, and some choices they have to make when they get into that point of adulthood. Um, and uh, clutch it like a cornerstone. Otherwise it all comes down terrified of being wrong. Ultimatum prism cell. Like that's that like idea of like this shame. Uh, like uh, we just hold on to it and um, or, or even stubbornness too. like what we're being like things in our life, our beliefs, and creating a prison around us. I don't know. It's, 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 it's pretty, I think it's pretty good lyrically. It, it uh, does what happens on this a few times where he pulls science and, 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 and math into, uh, into telling some universal truths, which I mean, listen, Eric heads out there. No, I'm, I'm all about that approach to lyric, to, to lyric writing. There's, there's a lot to be dug out of, of his lyrics. It's great. Um, his uh there's a repetitive uh guitar harmonics happening which i've noticed that they kind of broke the mold with 46 and 2 and um that kind of using that 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 harmonics loop on the guitar to build a riff uh, not a riff but to, to build your groove around becomes kind of their thing uh, a lot on this album then they will use it on further albums um but the drum works uh absolutely insane um and uh you know, Maynard's uh, vocals are pretty growly. They're, he's not doing his, like, pretty flourishes and vocalizations. Um, he's pretty much uh, sticking to the point. Um, and you listen, gotta love, gotta love a, a song about self-reflection. Um, I would say that I, right off the bat, am very satisfied with this opening track, The Grudge. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Steven. Yeah, this is one of my favorite Tool songs. And from when I first time I heard it, I was like, whoa, all right. It just, uh, it's kind of like a hurricane of a song. And I know that I say that Adam Jones' guitar playing sometimes reminds me of a force of nature, like a a piece of metal caught in a cyclone. I I just, there's something about this way this band can build uh, movements and songs. Um, But this one really goes, goes for it in a few different ways. Um, yeah, I mean, from the, the that where the grudge like a crown will not tolerate. I love that how it opens with this kind of like mantra, and then it goes like da 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 da, and you got Danny Carey doing drumming things like you would never believe. Um, there are just like these mini moments of pure metal that stop and goes into prog land, and then back into metal on some of these songs in this album that is really fun. Um, you know, Maynard, I wish had a more forceful presence on some of the songs, but on this, this, this track, he definitely has a presence. That second verse where he talks about clutching it like a, cl- a cornerstone, he comes in with a really forceful delivery. And, uh, and then there's that moment where I believe it's a three minute mark where the song kind of snaps and goes into this riff where he talks about sinking deeper. And it's uh, really, it, it locks in well together, the vocals and the, uh, the riff there. Um, I think the song, some of the best, uh, you know, work they've ever done as a band. 
uh, it's very immediate. And I've said before that when tool decides not to be immediate, that's when they get on my nerves. You know, I, I have patience for other bands, but for some reason I demand something of tool that's more on me, not them about, Hey, get to the point, but Hey, maybe Steve just doesn't have enough time that day. But this song really comes out just, it's a long song, but still just comes out of the gate. And, uh, man, the end of this track where Maynard yells and he just like the band is swirling and he yells and it's, it's It's an all time, it's an all time Maynard scream on that one. It's funny about it. It's an all time Maynard scheme scream. And there was something in the air at that time. And it's not the first time I'm going to mention of all bands Slayer tonight. Um, uh, Slayer released God hates us all around the same time. It actually came out on September 11th. So was it the next week? Um, and the end of the opening track on God hates us all. Tom Barea vocalist of Slayer has a scream that like pans the speakers. It's not as good as this one, but it's very similar. And I was like, man, people just wanted to really scream and let it all out around this, this time of a uh, society. Um, but what Eric said about the music is true. They kind of, that is one thing I like about this album. And it kind of is 46 to the album. I didn't even think of that. 46 and two is my favorite tool song. They do take that template for a lot of the songs for this record, how the bass kind of bounces around and the guitar plays around with it. Um, but aside from all that, I mean, musically bands on point lyrically, I never really had a use for the lyrics of this song as uh, when I was younger. Uh, when I was younger, I was all about being angry and I was all about holding grudges. And um, I never really thought about what these lyrics could mean. Um, and as I've gotten older, like I very much, I mean, even since the start of this podcast, I've, 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 I've gone to therapy. I've tried to not be as pissed off about things. I don't need to be pissed off about. Sometimes I fail completely, but there are definitely days where like I sit and I, I think about like, okay, that other human being, when they said that thing to me that pissed me off, uh, should it really have pissed me off? Maybe I shouldn't be as mad about this. Maybe I'll let it go. I do that a lot. Now I never could have done. I was not programmed to do that until maybe three years ago. And when I read lyrics in a song like this, um, now it's just, it's kind of nice. Like they were definitely saying Maynard was saying, maybe let shit go. And you know, there's a lot of songs out there that might say, let it go. Yeah. Fucking frozen says, let it go. But until you actually decide to not hold grudges as much in your life, uh, a song like this won't hit you as hard. And so this album came out when I was 20 something. And then when I'm in my forties, I, I read these lyrics and I'm like, Hey, that's nice. I kind of understand this now. So that's fun for me. And uh, I've even talked to, you know, I've talked to our co-host Mark about relationships he has trying to give him uh, encouragement. And uh, you know, it's the same kind of thing, Mark, you know, let it go. You get it. I do. I mean, if anything, um, I relate very deeply to um, what he's trying to say. You can wear that grudge like a crown of negative negativity, calculate what we will or will not tolerate um, desperate to control all and everything. Um, I, I mean, the whole idea of things like that can drag you down like a stone um, you know, grudges can do that. And, you know, I, I've been able to uh, kind of take to heart what, what's going on here. It's Cause yeah, the older that you get and you feel that there's, 
less days in front of you than there are behind you. And maybe it's as, best. As Captain McCard says in the first contact. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes easier travels if you kind of drop some of the baggage and, um, yeah, and that, that, that might be, you know, whatever therapy one-on-one, but that's fine. And also like, even, you know, Eric can even, I'm sure have some input there too. It's just, it's, as you get older, negativity isn't as cool as it is when you're younger. Yes. When, when I was younger, being a fucking malcontent, angry at the world guy seemed like the whole point. I could never imagine not, it, it almost seemed to be uncool to not be pissed off, you know? Right. Exactly. Walking around like it was you against the world. And anytime that you felt slighted by somebody, you know, you just wanted to put like that as a, a character marker on who you are. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, true to who I am at that young age. And you feel like being able to be so individual from the rest of society. And, you know, you want to make sure that, uh, everyone knows that you're not conforming. Um, and any time that anyone slights you, and sometimes it is absolutely warranted. Sometimes there is people in your life that are so incredibly toxic that maybe uh, coming to a better realization of that person is toxic, but it's not dragging me down anymore. I mean, people in horrible relationships obviously shouldn't feel like, well, I need to let that grudge go. And what you do need to let go is that just negativity around that and understand that you were strong enough to get out of that situation. So it can cut both ways. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, there's a value too to also, you know, cut and bait on people that aren't supposed to be in your life for sure. But you know, it, it's, there's a maturity to be able to tell the difference. Yes. But I also, but I also think that when you're young and being pissed off at the world, there's absolutely a time for that. And oddly enough, it's healthy to do that for a certain time of your life, but you can't do that forever. Yeah. It's not healthy. I mean, especially uh, when it comes to family, I mean, I, I understand that there are some situations out there where family has hurt you so deeply and severely that there is no such thing as letting it go but having you carry that with you for your entire life without trying to somehow let go of the negativity and understand of who you are in that particular moment in time um you know it is just one of those things that i'm not a psychologist but it is something that you shouldn't let anything really drag you down um you should be able to either let it go or be able to um, you know, understand that it was there and, uh, you know, respect it for what it was and then still be able to move on. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm uh, for somebody who's potentially listening to this, who was, you know, let's say abused as a child. I don't want them to think that they need to go and talk to their abuser and say, I forgive you. I mean, if that's what you want to do, if that gives you closure, go for it. But you know, I'm, I'm not in your shoes. So I think this song, I mean, ultimately to get down to brass tacks, the song is uh, definitely a heavy concept. And I think as I get older, you know, I, I'm able to understand that not everything is always in black and white. Um, and, you know, that, <laughs> that whole idea of black and white actually comes up later in um, one of the other tracks on this record. Um, but you know, I don't know if you were done, Steve, but I can go ahead and give you my thoughts on this song. Um, do you have anything else to say on this rec on this song? 
Oh, just the, the song's fucking crazy, and the, it ends with an amazing drum roll that you can't believe. Yeah, and uh, that's my final thoughts. Are it's a great opening track. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo everything that you both said. Uh, you know, this song has kind of the momentum of a roller coaster ride as it gears up. It almost sounds like you are boarding like a roller coaster. Um, like getting strapped in and then you're off to the races and you get that, like that space base kind of, uh, Justin Chancellor and the band all locks in. Um, one of my favorite parts of the song is when it does kind of shift gears. The song does have like, uh, five gears, if you will, um, unable to forgive and sinking deeper. And then it goes into this defining, confining and it just kind of shifts a little bit and sinking deeper. Uh, I, I love that part. Um, and then it kind of speeds up a little bit. And then once it pauses and then Maynard comes out with that crazy yell and the drums are swirling around him. And um, it's just, it's a very intense ending to the song. Um, and it, that it kind of feels that way as if you're on a roller coaster, like it just is, sending you through that loop-de-loop at least three more times um but i really do like this song a lot it's it's a really powerful song and i could feel it they're they're selling it well um band is on uh definitely you know a different stratosphere when they play this one so that was the grudge we all give it a thumbs up um so just in the interest of kind of Coupling these two, the next song is Eon Blue Apocalypse, which acts as a kind of a introduction to the third song, The Patient. So we'll go ahead and just kind of squeeze the two of them together. So here's a little bit of that. Steven, what do you think about Eon Blue Apocalypse slash the the patient? 
Well, Ian Blue Apocalypse is unnecessary. I my biggest problem with this album is I think it's a me problem, like I said. Is it for me to sit down and listen to an album all the way through now? I mean, actually, this is pretty interesting. It's kind of the inverse. We just talked about how when I was younger, being angry all the time was cool, and I don't feel that same way now. But now also, being able to sit down and listen to a 74-minute album unbroken uh, when I was 21 was like, I was like, here we go. I'm in for the ride. Now we have a lot of obligations, and it's very hard for me to sit down and listen to an album all the way through. That's not a tool problem. That's a Steve problem. 20 years ago, I thought all 74 minutes of this album was warranted. Now I'm like, do we need these transition tracks? Do we need to uh, be so long? Uh, That's a Steve problem though. And this, you know, I do like a lot of progressive music. I do. For some reason, the band I always come back to also that, you know, is long is Mogwai. When I go to them, I, you know, I'm ready for it. When it comes to Tool, who used to be a band that was able to compact things better, I sometimes I'm like checking my watch and I hold it against them. And I'm just like, couldn't you guys have just been quicker about things? And on this album, I'm like, did we really need these filler tracks? And I know that's hypocritical because the last the, the Anima has filler tracks too. But I forgive it on that album because every track on that album is an actual song could be put in the uh, tool hall of fame. Anyways, Mark, sorry. My point is, I don't think that uh, track two is even necessary, but the patient itself, uh, it's a song that requires a little patience, even though the patient is talking about a patient in like a hospital bed. But once it gets going, I think it really is a, a great track. Um, it opens up with kind of like, uh, almost reminds me of like a song by the band, The Police, so, you know, Sting's band. It's kind of subdued, has some nice plucking, has a nice rhythm to it. Um, but the, you know, the bass line on this, this, uh, this track is uh, as good as any kind of bass production on any Tool album. They really take a lot of care to make sure the bass is thick and meaty. Um, as soon as the song got going, I got reminded, oh yeah, I love this song. Uh, it's a really, a really good track once it picks up the pace. And there are two major uh, Maynard vocal moments on it for me, which make it a song I really like. The first is, I believe, again, uh, when they come in for the second uh, verse and Maynard kind of like goes like, he kind of like drags it out with the riff. You guys remember what part I'm talking about here? Yeah, I do. But then the real magic on this song is during the closing half of it. The band goes off and does a band, a bunch of like rhythmic proggy stuff. And then Maynard comes back and he starts singing about, and I, I forgive me listeners. I thought I kept good notes, but he starts singing about something. And then the guitar echoes what he's singing. And it sounds like, the guitar line and Maynard are both singing together. Um, I don't know how else to say it. Listen to the second half of the song, the patient Adam Jones, who is the MVP on this record for me. He, he just, he, he mimics Maynard's guitar, or I'm sorry, vocal parts in the, uh, the second half of the patient. And it's just beautiful sounding. So 
that's enough for me to think the patient's a, a, a good track. All right, Eric, what do you think? Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, Steve, I, I, you're, I'm kind of with you on some of the, the things. When, although sometimes when you say it's not a tool problem, it's a you problem. Um, not so much this track, but at so, some tracks I do think it might be a tool problem. But that's just me. Um, uh, the uh, you know, listen, I, I like an intro track that sets it sets sets the tone for the next song. Um, both the Eon Blue Apocalypse is apparently about uh, Adam Jones's dog that died from cancer, and obviously the patient's the patient is about uh, Maynard's mom that died of cancer. Um. So thematically, you know, listen, I like a, I like a thematic uh, bow being tied. Um, that's nice. Um, the The lyrics are heartfelt. Um, it's about watching somebody kind of, you know, getting ready to say goodbye and 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 like them juggling faith and um, you know uh, that whole like closure piece um if there were like uh, the chorus is pretty powerful if there were no desire to heal the damage and broken met along the tedious path i've chosen here i certainly would have walked away by now um it's it, it is it is you know maynard's a good lyricist i'll be the first to first to admit that i don't think he's particularly engaging in this song um the uh the music is uh, good. I, they're, they're still doing the harmonics thing on this track too. And when I say harmonics, for those that aren't like, don't know, like a like a fretboard, and I I don't say that disparagingly. Like you know, it's just if you don't play music, you wouldn't know it. It's it's the like it's like the uh, it's just it's it's when you're playing but not strumming. You're you're just hitting like these notes on the fretboard that create this uh, harmonic sound. It's, it's very cool to hear and they rely on it a lot on this album, um, this song as well. Um, but uh, the, uh, uh, the choruses do get big and swooping, which I appreciate, but the song itself, I don't, I don't, I don't put this on my, uh, my high list of, of tool tracks. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, um, this song for, being over seven minutes, it does require the listener to be a little bit patient. Um, and it starts out as a kind of a ballad, very plinky, very TikToky in terms of, you know, someone just looking at a clock kind of wasting away the time. Um, and good vocal performance from Maynard. He definitely is uh, giving it his all at the first half. It tends to get a little bit, um, not monotonous, but a little bit um, repetitive uh, in the middle part. And then the end, I think it sticks the landing enough for it to be like, okay, yeah, this song is fine. Um, But it does require you to be patient. And um, while that may not be what you want out of your music, it's not in their bottom tier of, of songs, but it's definitely for me somewhere in the middle of the pack. Um, I feel like it can be a little bit clunky in terms of the transitions, um, but it does seem to all coalesce together uh, fairly well towards the end, um, which does help to give this song a little bit of uh, 
the juice, but for the most part, it kind of sags in the middle. Uh, starts out kind of interesting at the beginning, um, and then just kind of. Um, it's not like the Homer car where it seems like it's three different things all smashed together, but it definitely doesn't uh, necessarily fall into each other as seamlessly as some of their other records or some of their other tracks. Um, but I mean, he goes to the well uh, talking about his paralyzed mother in the next record as well with uh, 10,000 days uh, wings for Maria so this is obviously something that was weighing heavily on his mind. And uh, well, I mean, yeah, come on, come on, man. If your mom's paralyzed for like decades you're allowed to write about that more than once. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not begrudging the guy at all. If anything, um, uh, how horrible that would be. And, you know, this is obviously from her perspective about like, how the fuck can you potentially want to just stay paralyzed? Why haven't you pulled the plug on me? You know, is this really what you want me to do for the rest of my life is just laying here paralyzed in a bed until I'm dead. It's horrible. Hey, can I, can I try to, uh, it'll sound tinny, but can I try to play for you guys the part right now where I was trying to explain Maynard's vocals with the guitar part? Sure. Here, hold on. This is, yeah, this is the part I would just, this is why this song gets put into the top shelf for me. Hold on. Let me see if it plays here. Yes. No, yeah, you know what I'm talking about there? Yes, and that's like, exactly um, why yeah. I, that's what gives me the, yeah, this is good shit. You know, yeah, this Maynard, is not Maynard, bad. He's like Maynard singing, like, dun, 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 dun. He stops singing that, but then the guitar goes, down, 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 down. I just, it really does it for me. Yeah. So, no, that's the part that I really like stand at attention. I'm like, oh, okay, now I see where we were. This is the destination we were getting to. I get you. Um, but yeah, I think it does meander a little bit. It could have been edited down maybe by one minute to make it a little bit more powerful. Um, but that's just my, my opinion, of course. Well, let's, let's move in to mantra mantra slash schism. Let's go ahead and, uh, partner these again, again, here we are with the, uh, the, the opening, the preludes to the real songs. That's just really was something they're into on this album. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and let's listen to the two of those together.
What do you got about Mantra and Schism? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I love what, I love what it actually. Like, like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like what what are you what are you doing? Are you over there? Uh, yeah, are you are you grading papers? <laughs> you got to put your pencil down. Catch you off guard, dude. <laughs> He's listening to another podcast right now. That's right. That's right. I'm recording, recording another podcast right now. Um, yeah, guys, just hold on a second. I'm just going to say this and I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> that, that was for the other, that was for the other podcast. Uh, no, uh, all I, my notes for mantra are just meow the jewels. Uh, I think there's a cat sound in it <laughs> and You're I right. don't know. That was my notes. Okay. That was my notes was that they, that run the jewels made an entire album out of cat sounds. So I wrote meow the jewels. All right. Uh, schism is, uh, Pretty, I mean, this song I remember being. This was like a hit, right? Like, this was their first single off the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I do. I remember this song being around. Um, and it's uh, quite. uh, If you look at if you look at the time signature, it is like yeah. The math nerds are creaming their jeans on this particular track. I guess the song changes time signature forty seven times throughout it. it works because the riff is what you're paying attention to. So you don't even know when the time signature is changing. That is an example of when they're successful doing that. Um, uh, this has the, uh, the, the lyrics like, um, you know, I know the pieces fit cause I watched them tumble down. No fault, none to blame. It doesn't mean I don't desire. It's looking for a relationship breaking down and kind of comparing it to a puzzle as a metaphor. Um, and uh, it's got a hell of a baseline. Uh, and this is also kind of doing, um, this, this sounds like a tool baseline and that's not a bad thing. That is a, a, uh, that is, uh, their best songs have like a very distinctive, huge bass. Uh, Steve has talked about that, uh, quite a bit. Um, it's got big, sharp drums and, um, at some part you hear, you do hear some, um, low, low voiced toads uh, uh humming in the background but uh i don't know if we're quite at frog drums yet steve i think you said there's a there's a moment this might not be it but um like uh it's great and then there's this like uh quiet section where the guitar gets uh a little like um plucky and then you get some laser zaps and um this takes you through it i mean like uh this is tool executing there are all over the place everything in the kitchen sink approach to um a shredder and it works indeed steven yeah it's funny that eric bringing up how much i've talked about the bass and i have is that i didn't like i've always loved tool for the most part and i've always been a bass guy but until recently, until I had to listen to them to talk about them on the podcast, I never, I subconsciously I might have known it, but this is such a bass driven band. It's, uh, they're just, they put such an emphasis on the bass, which, uh, dark once you, primus. When, when, <laughs> yeah, dark primus. Once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, I, I like schism. Um, it is kind of tool by the numbers, but not in a bad way. Uh, you know, I, I just, it just, I mean, even the video and the lyrics, 
I think Maynard is a great lyricist when he wants to be, but also like he could fall out of bed and write lyrics like this. And I'm, I don't mean to be that I'm not trying to be negative here, but you know, talking about like, Oh man, I, I know these pieces fix. I watched him walk, follow apart. Uh, you know, I just it kind of <laughs> sounds like tool one one to me or a teenager trying to write yes. like tool, you know, like these are before you get too far away from it, Steve, uh, before you get too far away from it, you're, you're, you're tool by the numbers. Um, I think it, I think it's not a bad thing because it implies there's, there's, there is a design to this particular, you know what I mean? Yes, like and also yeah, a mathematic some, design, the numbers. Yes. So this is a very numerical song though. So. Yes. And some songs there, there, there is no design. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> now I, lo- I love the opening. I love the opening guitar strums that very just peaceful dun 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 and then that bass line comes in it's almost claypoolian i i mean uh no offense to uh, uh paul diamore but justin chancellor is just a great bass player um the 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 robotic rhythm of this track is great i i only want that occasionally i don't want that all the time but for this track it works for me a little goes a long way of that progression um very very mechanical, very just uh, just a robotic type rhythm. Um, the way that the guitar line locks in after the first verse with the bass is amazing. Uh, it's it, you know, for it's, as much as it goes like with Tool by the Numbers, I am appreciative of how immediate this song is. Yeah, it was a radio track, so it, it is more immediate than some of their songs are during this era, and I appreciate that. Um. There are tempo changes within the verses, but it doesn't like meander forever to get there. Um, it doesn't really have any slow builds. It builds quickly, and then suddenly, before you know it, Adam Jones is kicking ass. It's got some no quarter keyboards, uh, some Led Zeppelin type stuff going on uh, during uh, the midsection, and then in the second half of it, it's got space bass. And I don't always want space bass, but when I do, you know, in space bass. Is called for when used appropriately. Space base works like no other. And uh, I really enjoy that vocal section where Maynard talks about cold lovers getting together or something. You know, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about those that soaring vocal where he's like something, something lovers. Yeah. You guys know that part between supposed brothers, between supposed lovers. Yeah. And then yeah. it goes into the, I know the pieces fit thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then just Danny Carey destroys it with the drums on this track. Uh, this is kind of like when you hear bands like Mashuga saying they're big tool fans, you can, you can definitely hear it in the, the closing parts of this track. Uh, math bands have built their whole career about sounding like the end of this song. Yeah. I, I, th- I do agree with you that if there is such a thing as like, let's just get the template out and uh, make a song. Um, this would probably fit into what tool are about. And I also think it's because they're also thinking we're probably going to get some pressure to have a single for this record. And we need to have something that's a little bit more digestible to have the folks who we want to bring on board and are also appeasing some of our current fans and I think that this is a good introductory single for this record, even though this record doesn't sound, I think, very much like this song too much, too often. Um, and I do appreciate the fact that uh, very bass-driven song, um, they're doing everything that you need to do in order to kind of sell a Tool song. 
lyrically, it very much reminds me of uh, <laughs> some of the content that you would find in Pink Floyd's catalog, uh, specifically around the album Division Bell, High Hopes, about just broken down <laughs> communication, right? <laughs> Beyond the horizon, I know that the pieces fit. <laughs> Hey, 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 speaking of plugs, Mark, there's your plug, that remastered, remixed animals. Holy smoke. That's very good. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, you're hearing things that I haven't heard ever. You know, they've really, like, brightened that record and made it more just... It's it's a feast for the ears that that animals uh, remix. I never, I never thought I, you know animals isn't like you know I never listened to it. And said, I wish it had better production. I've right. always thought it sounded great, but Me then too. they decided to say, "Hey, guess what? You've always thought that this album was Christmas, but how about if it was Christmas where you got your favorite Nintendo game?" Exactly. That's what made this album now. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. Animals, folks. The, the 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 remixed animals, and it's not it's not like Eric remixed it into a fucking dubstep dance anthem. It's uh, remixed into a way where everything just sounds brighter, like Mark said. Yeah, yeah. But going back to like kind of the lyrical comment about um, just the fact that, you know, keeping really strong communication, this band, as far as I know, has never really been acrimonious to one another. I mean, maybe they throw a little shade the fact that like, you know, Maidern is off uh, having a winery and doing Pussifer and perfect circle and just doing all of those things while the three of them are the ones that are like kind of making the engine go. Um, so maybe there is a little bit of like, Hey man, like we, we need to get our communication better. And maybe this is Maynard's way of saying, even though I'm not as communicative as the three of you, uh, just know that we are, I know the pieces fit. Hmm. this is me stretching of course but maybe because it's not like they're in the press like i don't know it's up to maynard whenever he wants to get off his ass it's not that feeling at all i think that the four of them are very united in the shenanigans that they had to deal with their record label and their manager um but not too so much with each other um but again maybe it is one of those things as maynard was really starting to dabble into other projects and they were like, man, we, this is our thing, man. This is what's putting food in, on our family's table. Like, can you, can you not, can you come back over here? And man, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like Maynard's got side projects. Uh, Danny Carey guest appears whenever people need Danny Carey to guest appear. Yeah. Uh, uh, Justin Chancellor has a side project, at least one. I mean, maybe, maybe Adam Jones is the the one, because I feel like Adam Jones is some, he's, he's the nicest guy in the band. I can tell you that much right now. Um, he's the most soft spoken. He just seems like a really good soul, but also I feel like Adam Jones is the kind of guy that doesn't want to make uh music unless he feels it, the world needs to hear it. Yeah. And I don't, for some reason I feel like Adam Jones is the guy that's like, Nope, not good enough. My guitar doesn't sound like it's, uh, you know, in the deepest cave mutated by Magneto enough. Nope. <laughs> not gonna do it. I love him. Like Adam Jones is my favorite guy in the band. I just, I, he's, and this is a band that has pre supreme musicians. Yeah. I just feel like Adam Jones is another level. Maybe he's the one that's like, he, he just won't put subpar out stuff out. I don't know. Yeah. No, he definitely comes across as a very artist that it does have a strong eye for detail. And um, yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. 
But that's schism. Uh, good stuff. Obviously, you know, talking about communication breaking down, but just knowing that we're all going to fit together. But musically and lyrically, it does kind of get a little repetitive with some tool-like moments, uh, but strong signal, single nonetheless. I think that it's worthy of their, their catalog. And, and definitely, I want to go on again. The last 30 seconds when the whole – it locks up and it, it, it's like a – a uh, machine gun or oh, yeah. rattling. Or, yeah. Where it, yeah, it, there's a lot of band. There's a lot of bands out there that they, they said, that's what I want to do. Like yeah. one of them is Mashuga and Mashuga is a band that already existed, but tool brought out Swedish extreme math band. That's just like, they are like, you know, a, a Swiss watch. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's just, you can hear, you could like tools, influential, man, influential, man. They, they brought a lot of this stuff to the mainstream that was whole, metal and prog genres uh in the underground they made it mainstream so yeah. anyways last last 30 30 seconds of the song definitely sounds like that oh it's fun yeah they know how to end a song strong there's no doubt about that uh so let's go into the next kind of pairing of songs uh parable and parabola that suite of songs and i think we're going to hear from steve first on this one yeah, here here we go again with the the pairing of uh you know a a intro with the i didn't realize how often they did it on this album until we had to sit down and talk about it yeah 
So I always remember though with Parable and Parabola that it was intro and then song. Um, and it's funny when I listen to this album, like part of me like wishes they did this more often. Then the other part of me is like, I wish they deleted this. If they if they del- if they broke more of the tracks in this album into two, like Ticks and Leeches, I actually think they could have broken up into two. I would have been complaining about that. But uh, now I'm complaining about too many intros. You can't you can't win. Steve's complaining too much. Uh, too long or too many tracks. You can't have it both ways, Steve. Uh, whatever. Um, I mean, this is an intro to the next song. And I do like the fact that it quietly sets the table for the next song. Because it allows the next song to come in very immediately. The opening riff of Par- Parabola is awesome. It's like Adam Jones goodness from the start. But that means you got to sit through the quietness of Parable. Uh, parable, I will I will give it this. It has some really swampy industrial electros buried inside of it. They're not at the forefront, but much of this album, if you listen really closely, there is some crazy little electro stuff going on. Did you guys hear that in Parable at all? Not really. I kind of just... Maybe in the background, yeah. Actually, now that you mentioned that, yes, it sounds like some deep guttural uh, ritual is happening a little bit. Yes, if that's what you're referring it's to. It's soupy. It's soupy. Yeah. And, uh, soupy, swampy. Yeah, no, there's this album has swampy electronics. Uh, they're, they're buried in there. Um, but it allows for the Parabola, a song I do enjoy. That opening riff hits a lot harder if you just you know skip right to track seven. That uh, down, 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 and you got these tribal drums. You've got this echoing guitar that's just swirling. You don't get that if you, uh, you know, if you stick parable at the start. I, 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 th- I think it comes out of the gate swinging uh, parabola. <clears throat> Adam's got these, uh, you know, the, the 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 first start of the song has that down, 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 down. That that's fun. But then when Maynard's singing. The the bass and the guitar are locked into each other. They're going, they're going, they're going. And then Adam comes in and goes, dun 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 Do you, you guys know that part I'm talking about? Uh, Adam yes, yes, exactly. Yes. And what he's doing there is he is going for something I just uh, was reminded of. He's going for the Radiohead creep effect. Where, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, uh, Patrice O'Neill has a, a bit about this that I might have sent to you guys. The comedian Patrice O'Neill, which says that, uh, you know, White people just love that that stabbing guitar sound. But for some reason, white people like sounding bad. And uh, in Creep, the reason white people love Creep is just they like sounding bad. And they really get excited for the, the stabbing guitar parts. I don't know if you guys have watched that clip from Patrice O'Neill in a morning zoo crew show, but I find it hilarious. And uh, Adam not wrong. Is a classic. He's <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> he, he says, he's like, why do white people like feeling bad? I don't get it. But that's, uh, you know. Whenever people of other uh, walks of life try to understand what other people enjoy and why, it is amusing. And having this uh, African-American comedian sit there and try to mathematically pull apart what makes the song Creep appeal to so many white nerds is very funny. But uh, he, he thinks that guitar stab and Creep, the dunnant, dunnant, it hits something primal in, in, in white nerds. And uh, I don't think you need to be, you know, Caucasian to appreciate it. But in this track, the Adams guitar stabs in the the second verse are uh, really good. 
Um, Adam Jones, the guitar comes in and ping pongs all around this song. He's got these atonal guitar squelches that just really do it for me. Uh, Maynard get a couple, a couple of really good yells in, if you will. Um, you just can't mess with the riffage. And at the end of the song, there's, there's this little grace note after all the heaviness is done that really just calms me. And as much as I think the intro half of parable is unnecessary, I'm a big fan of parabola. Eric, what do you think about this group? Yeah, I actually like, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a sucker for giving us like a dichotomy pair of tracks where you've got your, your soupy kind of ambiante opening um, where what he's, what Maynard singing about is laying down the thesis statement uh, just that uh, our body is a, you know, a reminder of, of, of our connection to something bigger. Um, And then uh, I I do think it goes on a little long. um, I think to Steve's point, parabola just parabola like like the the quadratic equation thing yeah yeah sorry guys it's it's me fucking saying uh it's me fucking saying uh yeah uh uh parabola uh absolutely just comes in strong and i think getting to that faster would have been a choice um that i would have appreciated uh though i do love uh the the thematic opening um, and then you get to the song and, um, self and, you know, the song, the music is, is good. I think I have, you, you have the, the drums and, and, and Adam's guitar riffage connecting tighter than maybe they do on almost any song on here. It's so good. Um, and, uh, there are some cool like solo ish flourishes that happen. And maybe those are the stabs you're talking about. Cause they're not, it's not like really a solo, but it's just kind of like little, little, little dances on the frets that, that, that happen here and there. Um, I think Maynard loses interest towards the end, but the band gets strong, uh, gets, gets strong and makes up for it. Um, lyrically it is about, um, uh, living in the moment. It's got a lot of new agey lyrics. Celebrate the chance to be alive and breathing. A chance uh, to be alive and breathing. The body holding me reminds me of my own mortality. Embrace the moment. Remember, we are eternal. All this pain is an illusion. Um, not to make it all about me, but like that line pisses me off. Like <laughs> my bones scream at me as a as somebody who has arthritis every time I stand up. That is not an illusion. <laughs> I don't blame you. That, no. that is a that is some fucking new agey like I just got back from my yoga retreat like language. I don't know. It doesn't resonate with me. I don't connect with that that that, that well, wh- wherever Maynard is on the song. It doesn't it doesn't. Let's dive into that though connect. a little bit. No, Eric, you're totally on point there though. I feel, and I had this in my notes for later. When tr- when Tool becomes the Frog Drum Band. They also become the Alex Gray, third eye all the time, metaphysical stuff band. And more often than not, that's what they're writing about. And it bores the shit out of me and I can't relate to it. I can every once in a while, like a song like The Grudge. I can, I can, I can relate that to therapy I've actually been in. Uh, 
the next track, I actually I really like the lyrics of the title track off this album. But so many of the lyrics on their second half of their existence of the, as a band is just like metaphysical hodgepodge. And and like, look at the album cover for this one. Look at the the next one. Look at just like the flying eyeballs and you know, right? Third eye <laughs> laser, the inside of a body that goes on forever. And I'm just like, oh god, fucking whatever. Like I just right. the lyrics. The vocalist is one of the awesome vocalists, one of the best. But his lyrics get lazy as hell in the second iteration of this band. Mark, what do you think? I, I think that that opinion does hold some water. I don't think that this particular song is too guilty of falling a little too much into the new age section. Um, because I understand like how you're interpreting pain. Um, you know, again, all of that is how your brain processes what you're going through. It's your nervous system sending that signal to your, to your brain to let you know, like I'm fucking hurting over here, but maybe it's not as like literal as body pain. Maybe it is pain that you hold within your head, you know, whether it be uh, things that you're holding on to um, versus actual physical pain. Um, but, you know, I know that you can make that inference because he says this body, this body holding me, feeling eternal, all this pain is an illusion. Uh, meaning that maybe there is another realm of existence. And, you know, this band doesn't, you know, um, not try to explore that third eye uh, is what I'm saying. So, you know, when you are kind of going deep and reflecting and um, really trying to process and make sense of the world around you and you're trying to also make sense of who you are as a person i think that maynard definitely starts to go into this path of this metaphysical sense that really hasn't been done before and i totally see how he could be held guilty for you're boring me man and just tell me about like you know how we're all you know what stink fist was all about for example or but i think that there are some themes that carry over from anima i mean one of my favorite uh songs on there was that self-titled where he's talking about i'll see you in arizona bay and just dropping la into the ocean um that's good stuff but now we're talking about you know where this religious kind of deity where you know if you think about it if you were to read these lyrics and appropriate it to like a dc talk song we'd be like rolling our eyes like fucking what <laughs> but i think i'm giving tool a little bit of a pass because they're not like oh you need to believe in some higher power all of that exists with inside of you you have the power to not look for a crutch of something that you know is, exists in within uh, like outside of yourself it's within yourself um so I, I kind of give a little bit of credit um, to what he's saying here, but at the same time, I can see why it gets a little bit like, all right, you know. Yeah, Mark, I I, I only interject for the element of crossfire to the show, but I, I and as far as what you're saying, um, and like if you tease out the pain line to be more like emotional pain or or, or mental pain, like. That is kind of that that new agey like, you know, you can it's mind over matter. You can defeat your mental illness. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
it, the secret if you just I, I, envision yeah, it to yeah, make yeah, it exactly. come true exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah. just like 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 uh, whenever anybody says they have the answers i immediately just assume like they're lost well they're just trying to sell you something is what i always feel yeah yeah yeah. and he's not selling you know he's not he's not hawking anything but it's that it's that new age thing that that is a few steps away from some some of the best cults our country has ever seen yeah (laughs) but i do like this song though yeah i think that it's a pretty it's a pretty strong song it does not need that introduction but i do like how it uh kind of zooms into the beginning of this song you know so yeah speaking of the new age why don't we move into the next track let's do it so the next track is one that does have a little bit of sense of humor on here and that is ticks and leeches Ticks and Leeches, this song to me, I didn't realize this until listening to it for the the podcast and being uh, analytical. This very much to me is like, oh, a throwback to old tool. Um, This sounds like it could be maybe off uh, for for at least the first half of it. It sounds like it could be off undertow. This is a throwback to anger and rock and uh, hey, people in L.A., you are parasitic. Um, I think it's a cool throwback. I like that it exists on here. Uh, the drums are amazing. Uh, Danny Carey's always been a talent, but on this track, he just knocks it up to another level. Um, this is funny enough as we kept talking about, my goodness, they keep having all these intros. This song to me definitely has two halves to it. There's the, uh, the, the undertow half, and then there's the lateralis half, and it definitely gets proggier in the second half. And then it comes back and it rocks again. That's fine. That's great. Um, it actually has moments in it where I feel like it's uh, definitely an all-timer metal track. It's uh, pretty heavy, pretty aggressive. And I kind of like May- also Maynard's scattershot. Is, is, he almost sounds like he's scatting. The vocals are very uh, angry and uh, have a weird filter on them and aren't very flowery. Uh, Ticks and Leeches. I, I really dig it, mainly because it reminds me of old Tool. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, it's it's weird on this album. It's it's not it's barely an allegory. It's uh, angry Maynard. Uh, he's angry at the music industry. It's first world problems. Um, like you know, it thematically it, it's weird on this album because it it does not fit the universal connections that maybe they're trying to say or 
the the lessons that Maynard is trying to impart on the other songs about life and spirit. But um, it's fine. It is a uh, Maynard comes alive. You know, sleepy sleepy Maynard comes alive on this track. Uh, it's very important to him. It clearly is, and it has actually some of his best, just blazing rock vocals on, on, on this song. Um, it's very weird, um, but it's it is a throwback, and it's fun for that. It doesn't totally fit on this record, but I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's a shot in the arm. I'm not as uh, I'm a little in, in middle ground for this one. Musically, it's fine. Uh, lyrically. It kind of reminds me a little bit of what you would find not only on Undertow, but Opiate, the song Hush, kind of comes to mind. Exactly. But Mark, may I, may I ask you, uh, in our last episodes, like I was like masturbating. Uh, I don't know why I said that. I just kept talking about how much <laughs> I loved older Tool. I was like, older Tool? I never realized how much I love older Tool. And you're like, yeah, I'm a newer Tool guy, I think. think maybe that's it. You think maybe since I'm an older Tool guy, but you're like, Lateralis is your favorite Tool album. It's why... Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's it's more my thing than yours. Possibly. Definitely, and I I do really enjoy older Tool. I mean, Opiate and Undertow are, and of course, Anima. Those are solid records. Um, but as we are starting to get onto this kind of theme and feel of this record, I feel like this particular track is kind of their version of Starfuckers a little bit. Um, if you were to kind of equate what's going on between this record and the Fragile, um, but sure. um. You know, it's obviously about the record industry, you know, sucking uh, little parasites, ticks and leeches. I mean, it's there's no subtext here. Um, one of the, the lyrics in here that um, has kind of almost become an inside joke between me and the wife is, is this what you wanted? Because this is what you're getting. Um, we always kind of like, that's kind of goofy. Um this was one of uh, our former coworkers' favorite songs off the record because he was one of the old tool heads. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold Mark, hold that thought. I was actually, you know, we we're all we're dads here, and we got to multitask. And I was actually in the kitchen with everything on mute when Mark just I, I walked, I rushed over here to unmute. So you and your wife, one of your inside jokes is yelling at each other. Is this what you wanted? Well, this is what you're getting. <laughs> Uh, not in those moments, but, um, are you sure? <laughs> Cause that is uh, that's something. <laughs> not in those moments. Uh, we, we're not that freaky. Um, it's mostly whenever like the, the, uh, whenever we, the, the, the topic of tool comes up and we're not talking about bedroom tools. We're talking about the band tool. So <laughs> uh, you, beat, you beat me to the, I was about to grab that, but nope, you got me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh yeah i mean <laughs> i know when you talk about uh, suck me dry and uh things of that nature and then i'm saying that this is an inside joke between me and the wife yeah you could definitely easily go there but i think this is when you were talking about the lazy a little bit songwriting when it comes to kind of his new agey stuff um this is where i think that uh yeah, I mean, I'm glad that Maynard has such a passionate like anger in this song. And the song, the musically, it's propulsive. It's great. Um, it, with that feeling that this is kind of old school tool, OG tool. But lyrically, it's kind of goofy for me. It it uh, it doesn't quite um, ring my bell. I'll I'll just say that. No, it's it is. It yeah. is really, everything you said is right. It, you know, it's just a change in pace. With it, he goes maybe too far the other way 
on this song too. Yeah. On this yeah. Album. Sorry, this album. Um, but we can move on to the next track because um, I think that we might have a lot to say about this one, and that is the title track, Lateralis. lateralis um this is i'm just gonna go ahead and say this is my favorite tool song of all time uh, i know that uh, there's definitely some really great ones in contention but this one does it for me um i think hey mark if i uh if i might totally cut you off I yeah apologize. no go for it it's not my favorite but when it's my turn i could definitely say i could see why you say that for sure and i mean i'll i won't do the preamble because i i think it's eric's turn to to lead off on this one um so go ahead and uh take us home eric on this one yeah 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 um so the song itself is it's just a it's a great little bit of humor and irony uh the song itself is uh about you know, overthinking, overanalyzing separates the body from the mind, withering my intuition, leaving opportunities behind. It is about overanalyzing, but they, I mean, they gave us the most rich song for, you know, overanalyzers like myself, the people that, that write a, a fucking blog about twin peaks, like I've done or watch the three hour YouTube video about twin peaks. Like I've done, um, it <laughs> it is yeah it, it it has so much in it uh you can look it up on wikipedia i'm not going to get into every little step but it's math um the album is built around the fibonacci sequence um where if you just look at the the sections and the time it 
tells the whole math problem. Um, the, like for instance, the introduction is a, is a minute 12 long. Um, and the first four numbers in the Fibonacci sequence are Oh, one, one, two minute 12. Um, it's fucking genius. I mean, these guys are, 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 are immenses. I mean, each verse is 55 seconds long. Um, which is the 11th number in the sequence, uh, 55, um, the syllables, even the syllables as they're saying it fit into the, to, into it. And then the whole like swing into the spiral, um, uh, which works like into something called the golden ratio, which happens at six minutes and 18 seconds. And the golden ratio is 1.618. I mean, it's just like, it's, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're accountants somewhere, are um are, uh, are 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 doing a dance to this it's i mean like listen i love lyric analysis and this is I, I i had a heyday with this it's great it is absolutely great the song is a journey it's very good if you didn't go into it knowing that so much had gone into the planning and the building of the song um it may take a little while uh for it to get in with all the time signatures changing or whatever, but I can't really view it from that perspective. I read about it before I listened to it. Um, it have a lyric book handy and abacus at your side and you'll be ready for it. It's mind blowing. There's no other song in the world like it. Um, very cool. I love the spiral imagery and, uh, I'm sure you guys will have more to say, but, uh, my revisit, uh, and it, pretty well i like this song quite a bit awesome steven what do you think about this one yeah no this song is a very affecting uh, song um i've always liked it but uh, when i sat down with it this time I, i've always liked the song quite a bit when i sat down with it for uh, you know the, to discuss it for the podcast um yeah for for this track you know, I've heard the song like many times over the last like two decades, but when you sit down, you listen to things to try to discuss them. You just, some things might click. And it, it, it's really funny to me that an album where it talks about like, Oh, the, I see the pieces fitting or, you know, everything, you know, falls into place or this is the way you need to look at things. Uh, I, I, for some reason, this song, fell into my lap in a way it never has before. Um, almost inspiring. Uh, it's just, I mean, the way that the music builds on this track is as quality as the rest of the musicianship. And I mean, Eric just went into a very good description of the thoughtfulness that went into putting the title track on this album together. But what, what amazed me on this is that as much shit as I was giving Maynard for his lyrics on this album, uh, the lyrics on this track that talk about looking at things in certain ways, being patient, um, uh, feel the rhythm, feel connected, be inspired. I do understand that just a couple tracks ago, I was talking about how none of that really does it for me. Well, it doesn't do it for me all the time, but on this track, it really does it for me. Uh, uh, the lyrics on this track kind of tell you how to enjoy this album and the way at which it tells you to enjoy this album and also like feel the rhythm, uh, you know, get inspired all that shit for some reason on this song, it totally works for me. And I also feel 
like it's some kind of like new agey like roadmap for how to maybe try to like get by in the world. And I understand that I've said I like a lot of that has, I I don't like it, but on this track, on this song, it works for me in a way like you wouldn't believe it clicks completely to the point where I don't know if I was just exhausted that day, but I was reading the lyrics to this and actually like getting it, man. I was like, Oh, I get it, man. And like, I just started fucking crying. (laughs) Like I was like, Oh, I get it. I, I get the song. I get, I get how to live my life. Uh, you know, I'm going to blast off into space. Like, I don't know. It was a uh, quite a day for me. Um, and it was like a template for, you know, the point of human existence to still be a human as they say in the song. And then Adam Jones comes in and has an awesome guitar solo. That's my review of this track. Yeah. I agree with all of that. One line in particular that's said a couple times is overthinking, overanalyzing separates the mind from the body. And then it gives you like a reason of why to stay connected, um, to keep the body and the mind connected, to feel inspired, to fathom the power, to witness the beauty, to bathe in the fountain and to swing on the spiral. That spiral is of course, either the world, the randomness of life. Um, but the overthinking, overanalyzing, uh, my God, how many times have I been paralyzed by overthinking and overanalyzing situations and it gets me out of sync about like my body feels all fucking anxious, you know, because I do that. And I think that that this song does a very good way of trying to let you know that it's not always great to overthink and overanalyze. And I think it's also kind of clever for them if they did plan that Fibonacci sequence of how it thematically moves uh, musically. I think that that's also like (laughs) for those folks who figured that out, who were absolutely overthinking and overanalyzing this song. Um, I I think that it's a pretty clever uh, lyrically. It's saying, don't do that. Musically it's saying, check out what we're doing. Um, I think that that's kind of um, a clever little dissonance that they're doing here. And maybe, but you know, Maynard, he went on Joe Rogan and yes, I know um, this is probably years before Joe Rogan was an anti-vaxxer or uh, having people say to do their own research. But he asked Maynard about that and he said that was all by accident. They probably talked a lot about, they talked a lot about pay. Oh, I'm sure like yeah, fucking sure. ayahuasca and shit like that, uh, which I'm sure like my God, Adam Jones, you know, was doing fucking horse pills and ketamine. Um, you know, they, they don't, they dabble this, this band dabbles. I don't think they get into any sort of shenanigans outside of, you know, Danny Carey getting arrested in some Kansas city airport. But, um, I think that it's, you know, look, and you're getting really fucked up. Sometimes your brain goes completely different places. And I think that this band, um, why I think our dearly departed friend was such a big fan of this band, um, was because he was really going through, through some stuff emotionally. And I think this band, when they were talking about the metaphysical, how the mind and body, like I could just see Jason whenever he was on, you know, one of our, late night discussion talks. This is what, how he would talk, you know, this is perfect. Um, but yeah, this song does it for me, both musically and lyrically. Um, and it's a hell of a fun, uh, song to see them play live. Maynard's on this like spinning, 
like podium thing and you know doing his little maynard lizard dances and uh it 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 all works great song great great song um so let's go ahead and go into the next batch of tracks which has considered um kind of like a trilogy and that starts with disposition going into reflection and then ends with an instrumental track called triad um so let's go ahead and hear a little bit samples of all three of those for just briefly.
so um, that was that group of songs. Uh, Stephen had to uh, head back to the swamp, um, clean out his frog tank, um, and so me and Eric are going to take you the rest of the way. Um, but uh, so, Eric, what did you think about the, like that trilogy of songs: disposition, reflection, and triad? There's there's some there's some highs and lows. There's some highs and lows for me. Um, uh, disposition. It's it's meditative, uh, being one with nature, experiencing. Uh, apparently, it was written on a weekend camping to jo- in Joshua Tree, or maybe I just wrote that. <laughs> I don't know if I read that or just made that up. Uh, that's 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 funny. Uh, I honestly don't know my notes. I, I do not know if I read that on Wikipedia or just made that up. But uh, disposition is a. Uh, it's it's got another bass harmonics opening. Um, then you get your drum circle out. Uh, you get uh, it's ready made for a Red Rock show. Um, and uh, I the frog drums are definitely going nuts here. And I but I I think we were supposed to call out when the frog drums first happen. Uh, my notes say they happened earlier. In uh, actually, believe it or not, uh, uh, parabola. Uh, uh, during at the very end, uh, there's an outro with a swamp and actually frog. Like they actually put that sound effect in there of frogs chirping um, that goes into ticks and leeches. So, uh, but when we say frog drums, we mean uh, absolutely squelchy. Uh, every like wood block and tightly uh, uh, woven timpani in the house uh, attached to your drum set. And it happens on this track. Is that on reflection, um, though? That's on reflection, not disposition, though, right? That, well, this re- it, it does lead into reflection, right? Yeah. And, like, for me, yeah. like I feel like it happens when at the end of disposition, right before reflection really kicks in, like, boom, 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 boom. And, like, it's like a something being dropped into a, like, a, it sounds like a water drum. Almost. What you have there is what you have there is a timpani being like hit and then tuned. Like you're cranking the tuning key right when you're hitting it, so it like you're okay. you're actually detuning it. So it's like wow, you're hearing you're. It's a exactly. cool effect. You're hearing the drum hit and then drop. Wow, right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, and then you know, for me, it goes into reflection, um, which. Uh, uh, the moon is being used as imagery as hope when we are in the darkest part of our of our night or our, our life. My darkest moment, fetal and weeping, the moon tells me a secret, a confidant, as full and bright as I am, the light is not my own. A million light reflections pass over me. The source is bright and endless. She resuscitates the hopeless. Um, I think it is a good message. Actually, I you know, I'm not against positivity in a song. I just don't like the uh, <laughs> the culty new avi st- new agey stuff. This 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 is fine. This works for me. Um, the moon the moon is imagery. I feel like the guitar riff goes into some blue oyster cult territory on reflection. Um, and then uh, yeah, those fo- those frog drums and violin and some actually pretty cool synth stuff uh, uh, build. But it, the jam is spread a little too thin for me on this song. Um, it's a very long song. The guitars finally get cooking around seven and a half minutes. And I've, 
I've tried to pull out all my positives for this. I don't know if it's worth the ride. Uh, but it brings us to Triad, which, in my opinion, is the perfect mix of the last two songs. It uh, I've, It's almost industrial in how they align it with the background beat, a very chunky guitar work, tribal, almost first wave industrial tribal, and... Um, it gets huge and it is very determined. Like this is a jam song, but it's determined and it kind of shows you the difference. If you compare this to reflection, I think I, you know, and I'm sure it's intentional reflection was supposed to be loose. This is very tight and determined. And I think triad is fantastic. Um, but that's my opinion of the trilogy, Mark. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with the majority of that. Disposition really is very meditative. Um, you know, I think Steve had even mentioned that he was hoping that Maynard would just save this kind of feeling for a perfect circle. And this is very different. This is, you know, the first time that you get that, uh, that drum circle kind of feel. And, um, it just kind of comes and goes. It kind of breezes right over. And then once you get into reflection where they really, it's an 11 and a half minute jam session. And it really starts with Danny Carey just touching them all. And I, for me, that was kind of the, the feeling of this is the beginning of Danny Carey's fascination with like world drums to the next level. He already had this very intricate kit and he's a very accomplished drummer. He's fantastic. Um, but this is where he's starting to really play around with drum sounds and what we like to lovingly call it the frog drums. Um, I didn't catch that in Parabola. I'll have to go back and, and take a listen when I go back to edit this, but it very comes on display at the beginning of Reflection. Um, the song takes a bit to really get up and moving. Um, if you're high as shit and seeing this live, you're definitely going to be in a great place. It's very atmospheric. Um, it's Maynard kind of whispering here and there, um, and then kind of soaring with that. It's calling me. And then before we pine away, um, you know, lyrically, you know, being able to kind of assess that feeling of reflecting a inside of one's own darkest thoughts. I mean, you, you see it and, um, I can essentially say that I've, um, identify with what's going on here in the song, but it, it, you really have to listen closely to what's going on. And the record is pretty long as it is. And, you know, I think it's fair to say when you're having to pay very close attention to a record like this for 79 minutes, it is a tall ask. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, I've always had to listen to this album in kind of segments. Um, because it does get exhausting. Uh, there's no question. And this is kind of where I'm reaching a little bit of my breaking point of like, I need a break. But when I do listen to it in segments and I come back to it and kind of freshen up, I know that, <laughs> uh, but you know, David Lynch movies do that to me too. I mean, where I kind of need a break. I can't, you know, shotgun lost highway sometimes all in one sitting or Mulholland drive, even though they're both pretty good movies. But it is kind of like that sense of, okay, you're kind of, I need, to, I need to take a little bit of a break from all this. Um, 
Speaking of which, I had to take a break from YouTube, but I'm back now. What are we All talking right. about? We're talking about disposition, reflection, and triad. And I did mention that you wanted to basically have disposition, save that for you know a perfect circle. But you know, if you want to jump back in, but what I was saying is that this last disposition and reflection, being how long and kind of meditative they are, um, it, it does kind of tax a little bit of your. Um, uh, I guess attention span for this record uh, taken by oh, itself yeah. though. Um, I think that they're fine. Um, I, I have seen reflection played live and I was checking my watch and then finally came alive a little bit, but I was like, Jesus Christ, 12 minutes of that. Um, it's, it's, I have to be in a mood for it. It's not bad, but triad that one knocks my socks off. I think that one is an incredibly propulsive, great, um, jam session between the three of them. Maynard takes a back seat unless he's, you know, uh, pretending to strum a guitar. But I, uh, Triad is by far a highlight of this record. I love that song. Yeah, if we're to, if we're to break, if we're to have the three of them lumped together, I'd I'd, I'd lump Reflection and Triad together. But if you want to throw, uh, what's the other one? Disposition. Yeah. Hell is it? Yeah. Yeah. That 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 bores me. I don't understand why it's here. It's just. Kind of sounds like, uh, I don't know, just a Pedro the Lion by way of tool. No, thank you. Um, but Reflection, I, I I like Reflection, although Reflection is where they become the frog band. Yeah, this is I agree. Total total frog drums. You hear doom, that's, that's, that starts. And that like they don't use the frog drums, and that's the word that we use for them. We don't know what they're really called. We are not drummers. Uh, some of our fans know, but we don't. Uh, I, I actually explained what they do there, but you'll have to listen to the episode to find out. Okay. <laughs> he said it's a detuned yeah. timpani. So as he's hitting the timpani drum, um, he's hitting the, the tuning key on there. Fat, fascinating. Yeah, you're dropping, you're, you're tw- twisting the tuning key as you're hitting it's it. Dr- dropped uh, timpani tuning. Yes, the, the corn of tuning. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, but reflection, the, you know, it's got the frog drums, but the bass is really thick. It's got these awesome synths. Um, I like the warbling vocals, actually, in Reflection. Um, also, it kind of gives me a Secret Chiefs vibes at times, uh, like a slowed down Secret Chiefs. Um, yeah, and there's another rip-roaring Adam Jones guitar solo in the middle of it, so that's that's fine with me. Uh, 11 minutes, yeah, I'm not so sure. So I agree with you there, Mark. But then in, into triad, and a pretty bold move to almost close the album with an instrumental song. Uh, but I, I think it's it, it's it's good. Um, uh, it's do it, you definitely see them wearing their King Crimson, uh, you know, influences on their sleeves? Uh, I like the slow rise of triad out of the last track. It de- definitely it, it leads the last track leads into. Triads, uh, you know, um, but it's got like these like African tribal drums and there's this Middle Eastern squelch that I dig. Um, and, and then there's another episode of, of Adam Jones again, strangling his guitar and getting these terrible sounds out of it. And by terrible, I mean, just awesome. Um, Adam Jones did, does something that, I always think of when I listen to Slayer, and this is the second time I said I'd, I'd mentioned Slayer again, and I am. 
is that Carrie King from Slayer sometimes would do these just these, these things during the guitar solos. And I'd be like, what are you doing to your poor guitar? And I feel like Adam Jones sometimes does that. I'm like, oh my God, how's he getting these sounds out of the guitar? That, that poor guitar. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And he does that again in Triad. Um, Triad has these industrial squelches at parts. It's got uh, Danny Carey for one section doing these really quick double kicks. And then he's these cymbal clangs. Then that riff comes back. Um, Triad is an Isis song before Isis, who already existed, fully became Isis. And you'll remember that Isis uh, that was, uh, they opened for Tool later. Uh, Adam Jones played on one of their albums. Yeah, I can definitely hear, much like Meshuggah, future Isis, like, uh, had to take a note from the song Triad. I, I think that uh, Triad's an awesome track. And then, uh, that's it. Uh, yeah. There's, there's Fop de Ode. You, which essentially is a throwaway track. It's uh, the title is Enochian, an occult constructed language from the 16th century for voice of God. language that dead language was what they believed the angels spoke in um talking is from a radio show coast to coast with art bell i guess it was one of the classic moments in the show where uh someone called in saying they used to work at area 51 and they were saying that the military was out to get him and he was like he knew a whole bunch of disasters and this is obviously four months before september 11th um that this record came out I don't know when that whole talk radio thing, but right when he was talking, the feed, the satellite feed, which carried the show suddenly died. And um, so it lost the feed to 50 stations. Um, The caller admitted that the story was a hoax, but the outage was never adequately explained. Um, So that's what that whole thing was about. You can actually see what he's talking about. If you just Google the lyrics for it and, um, it sounds creepy as shit. Like when you're listening to it on headphones, oh, if no, you're I, listening I, to like in the middle yeah. of the fucking country, forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go to the Clark tunnel road. Don't go down there and listen to that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's fun and I do like that side of tool. I love the, I mean, this was conspiracy theories before they started destroying uh, democracy. This is back when this kind of thing was fun and creepy. Um, I just think it'd be better if it was a hidden track, which I know is like, why, Steve, why does it matter? It really doesn't. But I, in my opinion, if this thing ended with triad and then if you left your record player on for another 20 minutes, that, that came on, that'd be fun. But they couldn't do that because they already used all their space on this album. So yeah, it, it, like the hidden track had to be, you know, 30 seconds later. So yeah. But uh, talking know, about I, aliens I, being extra dimensional beings and shit like that, like fuck that shit. <laughs> Meaning that I don't want to hear about that as I'm driving down a country road at midnight. Yeah. Peering around the corner. There's that little uh, black eyed gray man. God damn. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, what, what did you think of that uh, as it closes out, Eric? Oh, it's, no, it's fine. It's it's a good. It could have been a track on uh, the last album. Yeah, uh, it's definitely. It's fine. Yeah. All right, for our rankings. Um, so for me, uh, this, like I said, was one of my favorite uh, Tool records. Um, I don't think it's their best, but it is one of my favorites. I have a lot of uh, warm feelings about it. I do like the fact that they're getting a little bit more introspective um, and still holding that anger, um, but getting a little more technical with their songwriting as well. Um, but I'm going to give this one um, out of five uh wrenches i'm gonna give it a 4.7 4.7 wrenches for me eric what are you giving ladder alice i will uh uh listen what my ranking is like tool is almost unimpeachable they're they they are so good technically and on paper and mathematically, they're so good that, um, you know, I think their fans probably love that they can, you know, there's no, you know, it's, it's very hard to poke holes in tool. They're, 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 they're very good on paper, but as far as what get, you know, gets my engine revving, um, you know, I, I, as they go on, especially on this album, like I think three to four songs really do it for me on this. I think they're good tracks, and the rest is 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 a sliding scale of um, jammy stuff to in, to to interludes. Um, I, I I give this a uh, two point eight, two point eight, two point eight. Just a I little bit not, better than Pitchfork, but. Didn't exactly hit the three the three mark for it. No, no, not quite. Because I, I almost, but I thought about my threes. I thought about the threes that I've given, and even plenty of your choices and Steve's choices. But I had a lot more fun with those threes than this one. Well, listen, listen to so, Eric over there, like like hemming, hawing. I know, like hey, man, your opinion is your opinion. You get it, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not on trial here. here. You're not on trial, and you're also not in any future episodes of the podcast. Either way. <laughs> but, Stephen, do you want to go ahead and share with your folks I haven't shared with? Uh, no, I, I expected as much from it, and that's fine. That's you know why? Why would anyone listen to this if we all have the same exact opinions? But in this in this case, during the tool season, it's been the uh, the, the the Mark and Steve nostalgia thon, and uh, you know that's that's that. And sometimes uh, we uh, there's three hosts here, and sometimes two of them. Uh, are attracted more to the topic. Anyhow, this one actually rose for me when I had to listen to it with this critical ear. Uh, I used to think that it was my third favorite Tool album. Uh, my second favorite was uh, Opiate, but now it's this one. I, I, I think it's uh, really good. It could be trimmed down. Um, it's funny. It was released two years after the fragile, but Mark brought up the fragile earlier, and I do compare the two quite a bit, probably because two bands that became popular around the same time that I became super fans of around the same time, and this was the next big album, and there was about a five year layoff, and then they stuffed the uh, you know the media to the gills. But even though the fragile is way longer, uh, I feel like there's less filler on the fragile somehow. And I just wish this album was a little leaner. Um, 
that's it. I wish it was leaner. That's my problem with it. Uh, I'll still give it a 4.1. I think I said 4.2 earlier. 4.1. 4.1. Excellent. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great record. It's got some great moments. I just wish that they would uh, get to the point quicker. Well, like I said, I think that's more a me problem than tool, but Eric disagrees. Eric thinks it's a tool problem and that's uh, the beauty of this podcast. Absolutely. All right, Eric, time to dust off the diamond dice and see where we're headed next. Now that tool time is over brought to you by Binford tools. It is now time. We're going to rule. It's going to be, it's going to be Willie Nelson. I'm calling it. Nope. Nope. Rolling high. We only have what? 12 12 left. left, Yeah. 11. So an album released a year after uh, Tool's record. It came out in 2002, and it was actually released in the month of October. It is one of Eric's picks. It is Blackheart Processions, Amor de Trapa. Ah! Yes, <laughs> that'll, that'll be a love. That'll be a love fest. That's fine. Uh, I I uh, I was just saying earlier. I was hoping for something that works good for the fall and. Blackheart Procession certainly does. Definitely not spooky, but definitely the the, the songs of the weather when a a, a dead leaf blows by you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Perfect. Put that sweater on and walk down to the water and think about that girl that never called you back. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, that'll That's be a great. fun one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could do that. I feel like I've been primed to that one for the last. Yeah, I could do it right now. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. All right, so next time we're going to uh, talk about Blackheart Procession, the band from San Diego, and I think it was their fourth record, Amor de Tropico, and that will be captained by Eric. So join us next time when either we do a track-by-track track or a history episode. We haven't quite determined that, but uh, we'll figure it out. No, I've already. there's no way we don't get through this alive without doing a fucking... This guy, oh God! The this orbit of so, Blackheart Procession and Paul yeah, Jenkins are we, are, and guys, are we gonna like? Yeah, Three Mile Pilot. Hey, guys, are we gonna listen to all the Pinback albums? I know exactly. <laughs> but uh, we hope that we brought you closer to the spiral. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, hold on a sec. I'm going to take that again. Ready? We hope that we brought you closer to Frog. <laughs> <laughs>